Hi everyone, welcome to another Beef and Lamb New Zealand Seen and Heard podcast. I'm Aaron Meikle, I'm running the controls and asking the questions today. Um, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're going to have a talk about some of the work that Beef and Lamb New Zealand does. Um, it's been pointed out when farmers come across some of it, they're not necessarily aware that Beef and Lamb New Zealand work in this space. Or if they are, they're not 100% sure of what's going on. And importantly, um, they want to know why we're spending levy money and working on this and what's the return on it. So we're talking trade policy, and I'm joined today by Esther Guy-Meakin, who's Manager of International Trade at Beef and Lamb New Zealand, and Sweta Megan, Trade Policy Advisor, as well with Beef and Lamb New Zealand. So um, Esther, I think you're senior in the pecking order, so let's ask you (laughs) first. Um, What do you do all day in trade policy? Well, um, so, yeah, Sweater and I um, make up the small but perfectly formed <laughs> team here in Wellington, uh, but we also, as part of our trade policy team, we also have people offshore, mm-hmm. so we have Jason Frost in Washington, and we have uh, Jeff Grant in London, and then we have Ben O'Brien in Brussels okay. as well. So two of us here in Wellington and then three of us offshore. Um, and we together look after all things uh, trade policy, uh-huh. so that includes uh, free trade agreements, the World Trade Organization, um, it involves a lot of advocacy work uh-huh. with the New Zealand government um, and other stakeholders to make sure that they understand our interests and take notice of those when they're doing things. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and um, a lot of analysis as well on uh, what's going on in the world and how it affects potentially us. Yeah. So the role, I mean, you, just to be clear, Beef and Lamb New Zealand don't ever sell a kilo of product on that business. No. You're, you're, sort of, you're opening doors basically for others to exactly take product right. through? Yeah, market access. Okay. So, um, and what's your background? How did you come into this role? How long have you been with Beef and Lamb New Zealand? And uh, I've been with Beef and Lamb New Zealand for just over 18 months. Uh-huh. And um, I worked for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade okay. before as a trade negotiator yep. um, and did that for almost 10 years and then came over this. here. Hmm. And so you're, you manage that team you just talked about? You're technically uh, in charge of them or how does that work? So um, I'm in charge of a sweater <laughs> and, um, and uh, Jason Frost yep. in Washington um, and then Dave Harrison who is my manager. Oh, cool. he, he manages uh, Jeff and Ben. And Dave's role at Beef and Lamb New Zealand is, is he, Dave Harrison? Yeah. You have met him? Dave Harrison is the um, general manager of policy and advocacy. Okay, cool. So, Sweda, what's uh, in a nutshell, what's your job as trade policy advisor and what's your sort of background? How did you get into this role? Um, I guess Esther's kind of covered off the key areas of work that we um, yep. do in uh in our small team, um, in terms of our back, in terms of my background, so um, prior to Beef and Lamb, I was with the Ministry for Primary Industries mm-hmm. for, I think it was about four years, but I was working in the horticulture space. So I don't have a trade background, but um, I was working on some market access issues, mm-hmm. which kind of, um, you know. Um, made me more interested in the trade space mm-hmm. then I came here um, to be Lamb. Cool. So we, we were just talking off here, this will probably be the first of perhaps a couple of podcasts, we'll, we'll deal in, in some more specific topics in more depth. Today was a bit of an overview, so uh, let's talk about what the trade policy have de- done in the past. Farmers put levy money to Beefland New Zealand, we invest quite a bit of a significant amount into trade policy work. What's 
it achieved? I mean, what are, what are some wins or some runs on the board that uh, the trade policy team can point to when we're talking about what, what we're getting for our levy money? Well, um, <coughs> a recent um, example of um, how your money is, is put to use is the um, Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. It's quite a mouthful, but it, um, it uh, we, we call it CPTPP, which is um, also a tricky acronym, but much easier to say. And um, so this is an agreement with 11 countries. Originally, the United States was part of that trade agreement, but when Donald Trump became president, they decided to withdraw from that. So the 11 remaining um, countries, though, persevered, and uh-huh. this agreement entered into force um, la- uh-huh. last year. Uh, and it's a massive deal for our sector. Um, we get uh, new market access to important markets like Japan, um, but also markets that show a lot of potential, so uh-huh. Canada, Mexico, Peru, if I missed off any? Nope. No. Um, so those are the, the countries that we don't have uh, FTAs already with. Um, and so CPTPP really opens up the market in um, existing markets for us, but um, also ensures that we have opportunities um, that we wouldn't otherwise have. So uh, an example is, um, as a consequence of CPTPP, we now have um, better access uh-huh. into the Japan market so we were paying um, tariffs of 36.9... percent 38.5%. <laughs> didn't hear sweet it. 38.5%. And after two tariff cuts, that has gone down to 26.9%. Um, and the other important point on that is that we are now on a level playing field mm-hmm. with Australia. And that's what we really want, is to ensure that we have um, at least competitive parity, if not competitive advantage. So things like CPTPP are a government-level sort of agreement between governments. So why, what's the role of Beef and Lamb New Zealand farmers levy money in there if if government, why are we actually paying to do that? Why not just leave it to governments? We're already funding them with taxes and so on. What's the... Why should farmers pay? Well, um, it's really about ensuring that we understand the potential in those markets for our companies mm-hmm. um, and then understanding what would make a real commercial difference to them taking their businesses to the next mm-hmm. level, which obviously then um, brings benefits back to mm-hmm. farmers as well. So um, for Japan, for example, um, that kind of work would mean us doing our analysis mm-hmm. um, and that's where Sweater and I come in. We do the mm-hmm. analysis and, and background work on yeah. on what would make that difference and mm-hmm. then we go to government, the negotiating team who have the power to negotiate those outcomes and we talk to them about mm-hmm. what we want and what would make a difference to our sector. Yeah. Just adding to that as well, I think it's important to be aware that 
with government, they're not just dealing with the beef and sheep sector either, mm -hmm. so they're working across a number of um, different yep. industries, so it's a New Zealand Inc. approach, mm -hmm. so we kind of provide that subject matter expertise um, about what would be beneficial for our sector. Yep. So other sectors like dairy, horticulture, etc. are all doing the same thing? Exactly. So is it actually a bit competitive, uh, is it, you know, even though they're New Zealand Companies, I mean, are we and Dairy NZ and, and Horticulture all sort of juggling a wee bit to try and get the best deal for our individual sector, or is it genuinely sort of a collaborative, cooperative thing, or a bit of both? Uh, a little bit of both. There's um, healthy competition, but New Zealand's too small to not be joined mm -hmm. up, and so the ag sector actually works really well together and yep. ensuring that we get good outcomes across the board. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you guys are working with counterparts in those other primary industries. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You did mention there though, Esther, um, you know, about the companies. So we have got significant, by our standards, and reasonably significant on the global stage, dairy and red meat companies, for example. Turn it around the other way, why don't they do this work? Instead of beef and lamb, New Zealand using farmers' levies, if those commercial companies there, and they are going to be selling product or how do they work? How does it work? So we do work quite closely mm -hmm. with uh, the Meat Industry Association, yep. which represents the processes. Um, and it really does need to be a joined-up approach because mm -hmm. um, the ability to sell quality product mm -hmm. offshore and maximise profits really yep. begins at the farm uh, level. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, it really requires a all-of-sector approach and that's why we we do um, need our team mm -hmm. but we equally need the MIA team mm -hmm. as well. Yeah so again it's one of those ones it's not sort of an either or or either or it's because we're a small country everybody pulling their part. Absolutely. Okay so we sort of talked about what's happened you mentioned the the change in the tariff percentage for example on Japanese beef but Let's bring that back, and again, you just mentioned the farm gate. Let's bring it back to that. What does that actually mean at the farm gate for, for a beef farmer, for example? They're selling a cattle beast. What are they seeing per cattle beast or on their bottom line as a result of this levy investment? So, for example, um, with Japan on uh, beef, in the first three months that of this year alone, um, the tariff reductions achieved through CPTPP have meant a saving of $5 million. Mm -hmm. And based on last year's trade alone, we're projecting a $19 million okay. saving on beef, yep. uh, which goes a significant way to paying those levies. So it's just trying to put it in context for people. You know, we spend, um, I'm not sure what the budget is for trade policy, it's in the millions. Um, which is a fairly large whack, but the return on that investment is arguably pretty significant. It's huge. We pay about $250 million worth of tariffs every year. Still. Still. Yep. Um, and, um, and, and so every FTA that yep. we um, achieve as a country means that that slowly yep. reduces. And last year we saved $350 million, um, in tariff costs due to um, FTAs currently in force. Okay, which Beef and Land New Zealand and the other egg organisations have had a fairly significant role in. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, I guess one of the things with those too, it's not just a one-off, they're a permanent every year, mm. accruing over time. Well and actually every year the access gets better, so okay. in, in some markets you're actually um, seeing a greater reduction every single mm -hmm. year as those tariffs slowly mm -hmm. drop off. Yeah. Do they tend to come back, though? 
I mean, we've just heard about trade war, tariff policy, etc. I mean, um, have we lost ground? Have we seen new tariffs applied? Um, so, no, that's, that is the idea of um, trade agreements, is that you lock in the tariff rate that you will yep. apply between two countries. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're seeing with China and, and the United States is that they don't have a um, FTA between mm-hmm. the two okay. of them. And so, they, um, and so they're currently applying tariffs within the WTO uh, limits of that. But that's why we try and um, agree FTAs, because it avoids that kind of situation. So who do we not have FTAs with, or significant markets that we don't have FTAs with? Uh, the United States. Okay, so we could potentially have be affected by that? Yeah. Um, well, our, our trade into the United States is going very well yep. currently, and their tariffs on... Um, Products of interest to our sector are relatively low too. Um, so, but you know, they're a huge economy, and uh, the New Zealand government's been working to get a FTA with the United States for a long time, and that's something that we would still be very supportive of. Um, the European Union is the other okay. big uh, region yep. that we don't have a FTA with, um, although our government is currently working uh, to achieve that. Um, but that's another significant market for us that we don't have. So the idea with this podcast is a bit of an overview. We might come back and drill into some of those, but let's talk about, we've talked about what's been achieved. Let's talk about what's on your plates at the moment. Obviously, free trade agreements. Like that. I mean, what is taking up most of your time at the moment in the trade policy space? Uh, well, um, Brexit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, a really big part of our mm-hmm. work. Um uh, but also free trade agreements too. So um, the, the European New Zealand uh, FTA that's uh-huh. currently uh, under negotiation. But the other side to our work as well is um, underst- understanding trade developments and trends uh-huh. um, and providing that insight um, to our farmers and companies as well uh, to ensure that if there are um, strong headwinds and there are... Um, you know, able to respond to those, uh, and that's that includes things like uh, the China-US mm-hmm. trade war. So that sort of information, people are listening to the podcast, sounds interesting. Where are you providing that information? How are you making it available to the farmers want to get a handle on what you're learning, what you can pass on? Where can they, we're going to see it, find it, read it, listen to it. Yeah. So um, we. Um, share that information um, along with our colleagues at the MIA mm-hmm. um, through them into um, into companies and, and in our discussions with them. But we also um, feed into discussions um, with the New Zealand government mm-hmm. about what we're seeing and how it's affecting yep. our sector. Um, and that, um, you know, that can help uh, direct or guide them in mm-hmm. terms of the effort that they put into certain um, things that can then give us a helping yep. hand. And you publish some of it for, for our farmers, for our levy payers? Yes, absolutely. We do do updates. Um, so check out our um, website, uh, Facebook, but um, I also tweet as well. I do, yeah. All right. Now we'll, we'll dig that up and we'll put it into the, <laughs> in the um, description of this podcast. In the blurb, there'll be a couple of links and we'll find Esther's um, Twitter handle and stick it on there as well. You on Twitter, sweetheart? No, I'm no, not, unfortunately. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so look, 
those FTAs, I mean, talk about the EU FTA just briefly. How long has that been going on? Uh, so that was launched last year. Okay, that's um, a recent one. But it's been in the making for a really long time. Um, I think the New Zealand government's been actively mm. working to get uh, that underway and launched mm. for 10 mm. plus years. We're really actually only one of a handful of countries um, that the European Union doesn't have an agreement okay. with. Um, so it's been really important to us to get one because of course, if everyone else has one, we're at a competitive disadvantage. So why is that? Is that because of the the historical relationship with Britain and that sort of thing? Or why do we not have a FDA when they're so important to us and other countries do? Um, it's a range of factors. Yeah. Um, some of it will be just um, you know political uh, prioritisation. Mm-hmm. We're a little country. Yeah. Um, a, a whole range of factors, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the size of the prize there? You sort of talked about some numbers around what we've got out of CPTPP. Do you have an idea of just what a free trade agreement with EU could reasonably be worth? So our trade into the EU 28, Mm -hmm. um, so that includes the UK, Mm -hmm. uh, was almost $2 billion last year. Um, we currently have access to the European market through the World Trade Organization and so uh, you might be familiar with the fact that we have two important quotas into the EU market, one on sheep meat which is quite large, it's um, just over 228,000 tonnes and then we also have one on beef but that's much, much smaller, it's only 1,300 tonnes. So really the um, the objective of having a FTA with the EU from our perspective mm. is to particularly improve that access yeah. on the beef side. Yeah. So the two billion you mentioned there, is that just red meat? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. and wool. And, and wool. co-products. And co-products. So that yeah. includes offal, skins and hides and yeah. all those things. Just the beef and lamb farmers oh. products yes. effectively as a group. Yeah. 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 Okay, so you mentioned the B word, Brexit, and Obviously, we just talked about the significance of that whole EU-UK market and, and UK, a big proportion of that. In a nutshell, we've heard about soft Brexit, hard Brexit, no-deal Brexit. Um, what do each of those mean? Are some of them the same term? Or are they different? And um, what's most likely to happen? They're all confusing terms, but essentially a soft deal uh, Brexit means that they leave with a withdrawal agreement. Mm-hmm. A hard deal Brexit means that they leave with a FTA style agreement Mm -hmm. and the one that gets talked about a lot is the Canada um, EU FTA agreement which was really high quality Mm -hmm. and very comprehensive and uh, no deal Brexit is when they leave with nothing at all and at this stage it looks like we're heading towards the no deal Brexit. Most likely, because what's the imminent date for that? The 31st of October. Which isn't which far away and there's nothing in place. Well, nothing looks like being in place at the moment. Yeah, nothing's in place, but also um, Boris Johnson and uh, and the EU appear to be in a bit of a stalemate um, about uh, how to proceed. Um, mm-hmm. And... Um, and 
both sides appear to be waiting for the mm. other one to make the first move. So, and this might not be easy, but if that's the most likely, what does it mean for New Zealand sheep and beef farmers? Uh, yeah, well, it's um, it's a challenging situation and it does run a lot of risks for our sector. Um, in saying that though, we have done a huge amount of work on contingency mm -hmm. planning um, and so our team together with the Meat Industry Association but also with the New Zealand Meat mm -hmm. Board, um, we've put in place um, a whole range of provisions to ensure that the quota management mm -hmm. system uh, continues to um, uh, to run and is not disrupted mm -hmm. by a no-deal situation. Um, we've also been working with the New Zealand government really closely mm -hmm. uh, to ensure that companies are hearing up-to-date advice and on on yep. what to do and what to expect. Um, and so we we feel like we've done our preparation. Mm -hmm. The companies will need to do uh, their mm -hmm. preparation too, and we understand that the UK and the EU are busily putting in place their own contingency yeah. plans. So. Okay, so arguably, to hard Brexit would mean the EU, uh, sorry, the UK loses its access to the EU for product yeah. would have no deal, no ability to export into the EU, or yeah, so a case I'm, by case basis. So a no deal Brexit basically means that they don't have any agreement in place with mm -hmm. the EU, kind of like New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So they would then be reliant on access to the EU market through the World Trade Organization mm -hmm. in the same way that we are. Yep. And obviously that's less than ideal because mm -hmm. we're fighting really hard yep. to get a uh, free trade agreement with the EU. Yep. And that could have really significant effects for the UK because the interdependence of trade mm -hmm. between those two markets is huge. Mm -hmm. So I think 98% of UK sheep meat gets exported to the EU yep. um, and so their sector is hugely reliant on the EU market. Mm. Um, so all that product would have been <clears throat> technically be a wash in the UK? Yeah, potentially, because um, because they've been reliant um, as part as an EU member um, on access mm. uh, to other markets. They haven't got the free trade agreements in place like we do, um, or the relationships necessarily, um, you know, the, the customer relationships that, that you need in place. So, yeah, there is a big question mark about, well, what happens if they can't sell into the, the EU market? They're not going to want to buy a lot of New Zealand mm. land. Potentially that, not. Yeah. But then they won't, the EU may be short of land because they're not getting land from the UK? That's That's... The potential. Nobody knows for sure. No one knows for sure, but yeah. Okay, so there's um, um, uncertainty is never nice, but is it a you know a hard Brexit? Would that be potentially good or potentially bad or potentially we don't know for New Zealand? Um, well, so no deal Brexit mm -hmm. is not great. Yep. <laughs> that for is New the Zealand. least. Yep. No, and for anybody, um, you know, I think. Uh, of course, while we have to think about our own interests, um, it is important to also um, remember their interests yep. 
and it's in everyone's best interest mm. that the UK and the EU find a collaborative way mm. of um, divorcing, so to speak, yeah. um, because they're neighbours at the end mm. of the day, and it's disruptive and potentially dangerous for us all if they yeah. can't do that. So, you know, um, while we are worried about our own interests, we also wish them both the best of luck, and we yeah. really hope that they actually come to an agreement that means that trade is yeah. not disrupted. Yeah. Um, now, these things would, may on the surface sound like an opportunity for us, but ultimately they would not be good because happy international trade is something we rely on. Is that sort of Absolutely. The key to international trade is really predictability mm. and certainty uh, and stability. And, you know, when situations like this happen... Of course, there may be opportunities for some people, but the risks associated yeah. with that, um, in my opinion, outweigh the, um, the the stability and predictability that you get otherwise. This might be a good one to revisit because it's what thirty first of October is yeah. D Day or um, B Day, so to speak. So, <laughs> or, or, no, that's not although true. keeping in mind this is third time, so um, so the date could move. Again. So the date could. Well, who knows? I've um, I've given up trying to be a crystal ball gazer. All right. So it may be one. When we do have a day or we do know what happens, it might be another one to investigate in some depth in a, another mm-hmm. podcast. But um, what else? What have we not talked about that's on your plates at the moment that's occupying you or worrying you or keeping you up at night or exciting you and huge opportunities? Uh, well, I guess the, the last thing really is just... Um, the, the general global trade mood mm-hmm. um, and there are a range of things that are happening globally that are changing the conversation about trade policy and globalisation um, the most um, uh, or the biggest example I suppose at the moment is the US-China mm-hmm. trade war uh, and, and the way that they're approaching disagreements over uh, trade access and um, regulation and, and those sorts mm-hmm. of issues, um, uh, and, and you know that continues to kind of ratchet up, um, and that creates again a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. and instability in the global markets. But this is actually a trend that we are seeing a little bit more um, around the world. So uh, Japan and Korea are also in a bit of a trade mm-hmm. uh, war at the moment yeah. uh, themselves. And of course, those difficult uh, conversations are also being had between the United States and Europe, mm-hmm. um, but also um, in the context of the World Trade Organization. Um, and the the worrying thing at the World Trade Organization is... Um, it is uh, potentially at the end of this year, the appellate body that oversees the dispute settlement mm-hmm. process uh, will lose enough members uh, t- to continue hearing complaints. So, um, so all of those sorts of factors um, are kind of creating a dynamic in the global trade mm-hmm. world of instability, a bit of chaos mm-hmm. and and that uncertainty about you know um, the rules-based yep. order that we have enjoyed for the past thirty odd years. And, it's ba- and again, why you think there may be short-term opportunities, etc., long-term or in the bigger picture that these things mm. aren't uncertainty, instability is not good for New Zealand 
It's not Export good. It's not I mean, good for anybody. But. We're a small country that, that punches above our weight mm. in many respects, but we're able to punch above our weight because we have institutions like mm. the World Trade Organization that sets the rules for everybody. Mm. And whether you're a big player or a little player, you still have to play by the rules. Yep. And if the World Trade Organization isn't able to enforce those rules mm. because the appellate body can't sit anymore... Um, you know, that's a real problem for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way, uh, you know, China and the United States um, going head to head, I think there's a really nice saying that when elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> in New Zealand, in this instance, could potentially be that yeah. grass. Um, so, yeah, it's it's important that we try and return the the global trading world to a little bit more stability. So you, you two guys in your roles, and you know, different roles you talked about at the start, but I mean, is this almost, un, without shooting, is this almost unprecedented in terms of some of the, the upheavals and the disputes and things that are going on? It sounds very chaotic. Is it always like this, or is this worse than that? <laughs> no, it's, um, it's definitely different. Mm. Um, you know, when I first uh, started in trade, you would almost never see anything in the newspaper about mm. trade policy. Um, you know, whereas now there's something almost daily. Yeah. And I think probably you haven't seen uh, this kind of uh, tension in the global trading world, um, you know, probably since maybe the 50s, um, you know, before basically the World Trade Organization was mm-hmm. established. And, you know, a lot of these um, global institutions like the World Trade Organization or the United Nations, um, they really provide a framework of stability for world order and peace mm-hmm. um, because they provide those forums for discussion. So on trade, if you have a disagreement with your uh, trading partner, you actually have a place to go and have that conversation. Yep. Um, whereas, yeah, what you're seeing now is is people trying to take that into their own hands rather than using yep. those forums to work it out. So that's the stuff that's on your plate at the moment. Have we missed anything? Well, that's a fair bit. I think that's enough to, to talk about today. You, two are, you mentioned the overseas team, but in New Zealand, you, you two are at... Yeah, we are. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, big plates. Um, so I almost hate to ask, but you're looking out a bit further. That's all the stuff you're imminent. But what else do you see coming down the line? Is there things that are worrying you, concerning you, you're preparing for that are sort of, again, out beyond that horizon we've just talked about? Well, I guess, um, you know, while Brexit is also a huge risk for us, um, you know, there are also opportunities, and the United Kingdom is has been very clear about its interest in establishing its own free trade, agree, um, free trade agenda. Um, and they have also said multiple times that New Zealand will be, quote, the first cab off the rank... Um, uh, if if they do manage to leave the EU. And, you know, the UK is a long-standing trading partner. It's a really important one for our sector. Um, and again, you know, that could be a really big opportunity for us too. So it's not all gloom. So, I mean, is that just a, I don't know if social is the right word, but, you know, because we have been friends as countries for a while? Or, I mean, are there, why would they say we're first off the cab? 
after Brexit? What's the well first cave off the rank? Sorry, after Brexit, what's in? It's obviously in our interest. What's in their interest to have us in that position? Well, New Zealand has got a reputation for negotiating high quality, okay. comprehensive trade agreements. Um, we're known as one of the more uh, trade liberal mm-hmm. countries and a very principled country when it comes to trade policy and following the rules. Yep. Uh, those international rules that I mentioned before. Um, And fundamentally, because of those things, we're actually relatively easy on a lot of things uh, to negotiate with. Um, The the challenge comes down to the market access bit, particularly Mm -hmm. on agriculture. Um, But they know that if they negotiate with New Zealand, they can set the benchmark for what kind of trade policy they want Mm -hmm. to pursue and uh, they get to do so with a yep. respected trading partner. Um, so, so that's for them. It's also a strategic point, I yep. think. So yeah, for all the toil and turmoil and trouble and so on, there's still quite a lot of positive stuff on your to-do list or, or absolutely busy day to day. Absolutely. Awesome. So, what have we missed? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about while we did a bit of an overview before we wrap up? I don't think so. No. Yeah. Some of these things, we'll keep an eye on things. Sweet is leaving, obviously, but it sounds that she's going on to other and better things. She's not leaving because of what the work she has to do and the things <laughs> that she comes to deal with. But we will, um, we've got some other topics we might come back and do in depth, and some of this stuff I suspect we'll revisit because it's moving pretty fast, but the sound of it, things change day to day, week to week. Yeah, cool. particularly on Brexit. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, nothing else we want to cover? No. That'll do us for today. So, all right, that's Esther Guy Meakin, Manager of International Trade, and Sweta Megan, Trade Policy Advisor at Beef and Lamb New Zealand. We'll put some links in the blurb, the description of this podcast, to some of the stuff we have on our website. I think we said we'd stick up Esther's Twitter handle there as well, so you can get it in real time what's happening. But um, any questions or if you've got any requests for some further detail on some of the things we've talked about, or perhaps a podcast in this area, on Beef and Lamb New Zealand's activity outside the farm gate. We're quite keen to to cover it a wee bit more. Let us know, drop us a line, give us a call on the 0800 number. But in the meantime, uh, Sweeter and Esther, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having us.